are so many ticking time bombs on this episode because hearing that you've made yourself a, an undercooked fish dinner yeah. and also the looming threat that the feds are going to arrest uh, Donnie T. That could happen live on this episode. It's going to be a crazy one. Oh, what's up, nerds? Didn't see you there. How's it going? Welcome back to a new episode of Region Free. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the new album from 100 Gex. What do you think of it, Blake? I know you listened to it a bunch of times. No, no, shut up. That's a bad joke. The better <laughs> joke would have been, we're going to be talking about the new Metallica, Metallica single, Lux Eterna. We're going to be talking about the theme from Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream, <laughs> which is also called Lux Eterna. Um Oh, yeah. That's right. It's going to be the music that I play the end of this episode. Let me, out let me ask so you So you're going to hear that in 45 to 55 minutes, probably. Let me let me talk to you about something. Talk to I me. Wanna give a, I want to give a plug to one of the sickest bootle- film bootleg merch companies around from The Void, run by my best friend, Johnny Munch. Yes, sir. Um, who I, I'm wearing one of his shirts right now, the old brother wear thou shirt. I was at his house before I came back to Minneapolis, and I was like, yo, let me cop something while I'm here. I had a Requiem for a Dream shirt, and I'm not particularly PC about what I wear, but Requiem for a Dream was one of the first ones where I was like, I can't do that. I can't (laughs) wear that in public. And like, people will be asking me questions. Yeah, they're like more extreme movies, I think I own shirts of, but it's like that one. Anyone that knows that movie is going to look at me and immediately think of the ass-to-ass scene. And I was like, I can't bring that evil into my life. Whereas the other day when I was at Trader Joe's and the dude was like, Ichi the Killer hoodie, I was like, yeah, you're a freak just like me. It's fine. Yeah, you... Requiem for Dream, too mainstream. It would be like having the solo Blu-ray on your shelf when you invite a nice lady over for uh, for a fish dinner. Hey, I'll tell you what I've done in my life before. Exactly that. Um. Well, I do have the solid Blu-ray, but like, it's it's a tasteful movie. You can be like, no, it's a it's maybe it's high the, art, the yeah. Italian great. It's it's on the Criterion uh, <clears throat> collection, so it's good. I in the past have definitely put some movies up when I knew a new romantic partner was coming up over for the first time, and like a month or two in, I'll like put them back and just be like, eh, they'll discover them when they want. But I've definitely hidden movies and before. yeah, yeah, like uh, from ones? the void. Dot .co by okay. the way shout out Johnny's clothing company. Uh which ones? I de- definitely this was when I lived in Minnesota. Um You lived in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely Tumbling Doll of Flesh. I remember uh-huh. putting that one in my closet. I think Guinea Pig 2 because the box art is I mean the box the, both of those are just very graphic. Um Guinea Pig 2, not that graphic of a film, all things considered, but um, Tumbling Doll Flesh is literally indefensible. <laughs> I, I can't make any uh, defenses on that one. Probably just those two. Usually I have to close the doors to the room that I'm recording in right now <clears throat> with my uh, Kirby plush Optimus Prime mm. Lego, Pyacon the Outcast Tolkien Lego. I have to take my Avatar The Way of Water art book and just put it in a room where no one's going to see it every once in a while. Here's- Here's a new one that I've only acquired recently that I am recently single. If um any if any new young part young oh my god <laughs> if any new no 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 of appropriate age of appropriate age you're young uh, so it's allowed yeah you know? that's true that's true uh, if any partners come over this will be an instant hide all I'm gonna say is in Japan it's called Secret Garden it's by Hisayasu Sato and going under not- the bed. That is not what they gave that movie in America. And uh, go to Jason Daphne's letterbox to find out. That <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'll it's have got to one hide. Of, it's straight up one of the most heinous film titles I could imagine. 
But, like, it's a great movie. It's just, like, the American distributors fucked him on this one. I've got the two copies of Love Exposure, the one that I was supposed to mail you 18 months ago, and now there's just two copies of that extremely problematic film sitting on my shelf. So if anyone's like, what's that? I have to be like, and why, well, what's that movie? And why do you have two copies of it? I have to be like, well, me and my friend do a podcast. We were going to do it, like, right. a year ago. In the in the year that we delayed it, the director got super canceled. So right. that's why I have two copies of it sitting on my shelf. But today, we're not talking about Sion Sono, and we're never talking about Sion Sono. Today, we're talking about Gaspar Noe's 2019 can midnight premiere fashion commercial slash experimental short film slash uh, video essay slash screed on the entire state of uh, the cinematic medium. It's called Lux Aeterna. An indictment and a love letter all at once of films and maybe Beatrice Dahl. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna get this off the top immediately because I know you haven't seen it. Uh, the film Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, mm. is a. This is a. Right. This is a 51 minute short film, right? It's categorized as a short, I think, because um, the prompt for No Way came in as like, "Hey, make a sort of 15 ish minute kind of." Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Improvisational short for us as part of like this, you know, experimental label we're doing with uh, right. Saint, Saint Laurent. I am not a haute couture fashion guy myself, but I do know these names and these brands. Uh, oh, Saint Laurent? Yeah, the Saint Laurent. Rocky's always, the ASAP Rocky's always talking about. Uh, Gaspar said, let me run with that and just do a 51 minute meditation on masculinity and, and the uh, complacency and the historical you know right which burnings of of your babylon damien chazelle's acidic love letter to hollywood is sure. eerily similar to just a three-hour version of this movie three hours and eight minutes but the endings are uh identical i really enjoyed lux Eterna as a longtime fan of gaspar noe I would not want to watch even 52 minutes of this movie it uh, aj I'm saying this without a shred of irony. This feels like the first genuinely dangerous film we have watched on this podcast. Like truly uh, irresponsible in the way that it kind of uses its twist ending as a experimental filmic uh, dissolution into like just truly lights, colors, sounds. Yeah. So, I mean... This film, obviously, it opens with a... I, I feel like we should get this out of the way, just in case anyone yeah. was like, I'm going to stop the podcast and watch this. It opens with not a, hey, this might be harsh for people with photosensitivity. It's basically like, hey, if you have epilepsy, maybe sit this one out. Yeah, uh, um, and and I watched this via the really incredible Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, which is a really yeah. cool box, has two discs, the second disc is just all the short films that inspired this, which we can talk about those oh. later because I did watch them all today. Um, but on disc one, one of the bonus features that it comes with is an introduction that Noe did to a screening at the Metrograph, which ironically enough, we were just talking about earlier today, one of my favorite yeah. theaters in New York City. Uh, it's a pretty interesting introduction. Noe's a cool, funny guy, and he talks about a lot of that context we were getting into with like how the short came to be through Cannes, through Saint Laurent and all that. But at the end, uh, he just decides, like, this is this is his way of setting it up. He goes, uh, if you have any photosensitivities or epilepsy, you might want to... Uh, 
crowd kind of starts doing nervous laughter and then he's like he just waves his hand in front of his face and then he's like just you know leave uh and that's <laughs> that's the way he described I, it which honestly is pretty safe i'd say so i, I mean i think if you've seen a f- any number of noe films besides maybe like vortex you'll know he is obsessed with flashing lights and changing colors and everything this is taken to like it's it's most extreme but even knowing that you can watch the trailer and get an idea of how crazy the lights and colors are in this i made the decision to watch it with the lights in my apartment on to try to like yeah i'm not epileptic but i do have like slight photosensitivity um i almost said photosynthesis (laughs) um like definitely like it does bother me at times um even with all the lights on in my apartment, the last five minutes, like, eventually I kind of had to, like, turn it off. I couldn't. I could. I was, like, and after the movie, in, like, after I turned it off, I was a little woozy. Yeah. Like, standing up and walking around, like, I got light. And it was very brief, but I was, like, oh, shit. Like, that was, if you if you have, like, severe photosensitivity, watch a different movie is all I'm going to say. Yeah. Let me, let me talk about the two shorter short films that were on the disc because they are just uh, the basis for some of the experimental stuff. So those are called Raygun Virus and The Flicker. And Raygun Virus is uh, a a kind of blueprint for the end of this film. Let me double check. Uh, this is year. from 1966. Yeah. So, you know, 50 years earlier, but that is just flashing colors and static sounds for about 14 minutes. I, oh, yeah, I love I love Mersbell. I put it on on the my seventy three inch TV in my living room. <laughs> Cloud Moser was sitting on the couch. He got up. He ran away. He skittered. <laughs> he said, "I will not have any of this." Um, but you know, in terms of like a experimental little meditation, I kind of I can't lie. I kind of enjoyed putting it on. It's it's not like I'm gonna be like. Oh, this is such a uh, important film or whatever. Well, it is an important right, right. film. You know, I'm not going to be uh, pretentious about it. But sure. the flicker is a little bit longer, black and white. I think even older has like old timey silent film music going under it. Yeah, yeah. And is just like a VHS crackle screen. So that one, maybe avoid IMO. And it has like a very funny little splash screen up top that's like. There's a paramedic standing outside the theater. It's your responsibility to leave if you feel sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which is, you know, that's the thematic through line to Lux Eterna because at that can yeah. midnight premiere, they did have paramedics standing out by in case people uh, reacted negatively to the finale of this film, which we've sort of started at the tail end, which is to say, this is a 51-minute short film that in the last five minutes turns into a sort of psychedelic color slideshow. And it's pretty fucking cool. It's fucking awesome. It rocks. I, could, I couldn't finish the last five minutes of this movie, though. I did. I'm brave. I sat much. all the way through to the end of the credits, which were actually maybe some of my favorite little bits. Here's the thing about Lux Eterna. We can rewind to the front. Hold now. on. Hold on. You're not brave for doing that. I just felt like it was a perilous to my health. You did. Oh, I, I well, I felt the same way, and I sat there because it's what I knew. I knew it's what Gaspar would want. I was like, I will suffer for this man. Um, I've seen enough of his films. I've given him so much of my time. Yeah, you've seen Vortex, and I haven't. So maybe if I had, I would have felt like I had a bit more of the freedom hey, to shut this one off three or four. Interesting. Early. Interesting. You bring that up. I would like to talk about how I think this is in some ways the blueprint for vortex oh absolutely i mean i haven't even seen that movie and i know that it extends his 
experimentation with split screen all the way to yeah. feature length. That movie's like two hours long ish, right? Uh, I I think like maybe ninety to hundred minutes. Oh, okay. but yeah, yeah. It's, and the whole is thing is, it's like one perspective in one field of view, one on the other side by side images for the whole runtime. Yeah, and it's about a aging couple going through dementia, right? Yeah, uh, definitely visually and sonically way calmer than this movie but like uh in terms of the camera tricks like very similar yeah um why don't you set up the intro of this film the sort of premise and and how we get to that split screen bit because it's really neat and what i was going to say as a lead into it is like this movie's really funny which i wasn't expecting no way kind of has a a big air quotes twisted sense of humor where he makes like you know those darkly comic absurdist films uh, in some cases more recently, I feel like he kind of came onto the scene as such a intense, like harrowing mm-hmm. Aronofsky type dude. Uh, and now he's just kind of having fun with it. And I really like it. Well, he did like almost die or something like had a heart attack or oh, aneurysm or some well, I'm shit. I'm glad he's like, still kicking. That's how he, that's why he made vortex a deeply not funny film. Um, this movie opens with a few quotes from famous directors whose yeah. names all escape me. I don't know. Did you write down the first one, which kind of sets the thesis for this? It's uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Rainer Weiner Fassbinder. I just butchered right. that. And uh, Jean-Luc Godard all have quotes. Um, yeah. And they're, I don't have the quotes themselves on hand, but they're about the import of the artist and the director and making films and also about witches and power you get the sense that i'm sure noe respects all of these directors immensely even if he seems to maybe think they're dickheads yeah well you know you you watch that intro and i'm like okay he's doing a little hero worship in a way those are Mm -hmm. very popular respected pretty much unimpeachable giants of uh the film library and then the movie kind of takes you on a twist and it's like, hmm, I don't know about all that. Well, there, yeah, and there is an interesting moment where one character talks about how he started his career under Godard and it is easily one of the most annoying characters in Lux Eterna, which oh I'm like, that's, God. that's a fun, that's a fun touch. Anyway, uh, this movie opens the way I wish all films open with an extended, what feels completely improv, um, perhaps true to life conversation between Beatrice Dahl and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Um, Beatrice Dahl needs no introduction. We've talked about her for a official month at this official point. wife of Region Free. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. I feel like would probably mostly be known for. I mean, unless you're like a true freak, like uh, for her work with Lars von Trier. I guess Nymphomaniac. Yeah. She's the lead in both of those, and then uh, Antichrist. Uh, she commits the infamous clitorectomy in that film. <laughs> if you're familiar, uh, but wonderful actress. And these two are just kind of shooting the shit before a film shoot talking about stories and weird anecdotes of playing witches in films whether or not they've been burned at the stake in films um shitting on various producers they've encountered in their work talking about um doing nude scenes like it's a fantastic sequence that is just like literally these two characters talking for like 10 to 12 minutes hardly cut yeah well let's i mean let's even pause and, and unpack that there. You say characters, but the sort I guess, of, yeah, they're yeah, not characters. They the, are themselves. The point of a lot of this movie is the blurring between yeah. actors and creators. Because, yeah, I think 
The really interesting thing about Lux Eterna, where I land on it, is they're sort of doing both at the same time. They're playing fictional versions of themselves. Mm. And another thing that's worth noting is, yeah, there's no script. There's like a loose story structure. The kind of credit that Noe gets is um, for inspiration rather than writing in the in the closing credits. So I would love to know what the like shooting script and how they were making this kind of looked like. I mean, he's famously done that in the past. Like, I think Irreversible is like was like literally like a two page outline, wow. and then the whole movie was just improved to various yeah. degrees. So he's like he he's known for doing that. I'm I don't know specifically on other films. It feels like Vortex in a, at a lot of times is similar to that, but like he works yeah. in that chaos. And that's the thing too that uh, some of the shitty male director producer writer characters in this movie you could very easily see them kind of running with that of being like oh yeah you know i'm like gaspar no i don't really write scripts we just get to the set and he so he's kind of like taking the piss out of himself and i really appreciated that here it was really funny (laughs) yeah this is like it's like it's you know what i thought is this movie was going to be the last five minutes for 51 minutes and it's really not and it's more an interesting look at how movies get made and why there may be disasters and we don't know it um the this is basically 45 minutes of beatrice doll screaming at people which is like damn wish that were me exactly (laughs) well yeah so she is her character the person that she's portraying in this film is a actress turned first-time director working on a film set. They are trying to shoot the climax of this movie. That's a little mm-hmm. that's a little shout for all the other Noe uh, fans out there. Wow, I because he directed a film I, called Climax. I, wow, I I, I love that. <laughs> uh, as she as she enters the void of a hellish production that really spirals out of control as these shitty and notably male executive producers are trying to get her fired or removed from the thing but like they want it to be like oh we had no choice to fire her because wouldn't it look shitty if these male producers ousted this first time female director off of a production Um, and she's she's indignant the whole time which like shouts out to her she's like nope i stand alone this is irreversible (laughs) and you will not bring me down in your vortex of bullshit thank you we got them all I think that was a I think that was a ten out of ten run right there. That was that's what they call top tier riffing in the game. Thank you, thank you. God, but the the other characters that get introduced to this, like, there's a pretty clear not to be pedantic or binary about it, but there's a way that this film treats women versus the way that it treats its male characters or actors, and I feel like that was kind of one of the central theses or driving points where it's like this film set men kind of have the free reign to just fuck around and do whatever they want and face no repercussions. And everything that any woman on this film set does is intensely scrutinized or is really traumatic or not great overall. And I feel like what he's doing with Lux Eterna is just trying to boil down, maybe not even his experience, but just, you know, what you hear about on these film sets into this hellish little 50 minute microcosm that yeah just ends up exploding in this like true sort of holy fire burn it all down almost like a manifesto-esque ending which as we've already established uh rocks this is the most i feel like character we've seen in our uh beatrice doll season here um in terms of like her having the most like 
personality or just raw speaking role in a a film. Yeah, I thought she was really great in Trouble Every Day and Inside and Out kind of stumbled through that preamble there. But like actually seeing her do a quote unquote more typical role as just as in a character who has lines. uh, What a fucking powerhouse, dude. She's out of control. Yeah, I mean... In those other films we've discussed, she's used primarily as this force of nature, something animalistic or supernatural that just right. walks on the screen and you're like captivated and mystified all at once. And then here, uh, yeah, she's a person. She's herself and she carries the decades of experience in the film industry that are essential to creating a character like this. Um, her conversation with, with Charlotte Gainsbourg up top is just really sort of like it was i could have watched that for an hour honestly it was super compelling and feels just yeah. like this kind of what are they called variety round table interviews or it's like let let, <laughs> yeah. let beatrice doll and charlie gainsburg go on hot ones and just kick it for for a minute uh because they're really just like taking down yeah shitty experiences that they've had there's that there are two really kind of funny and great stories about doing scenes with like intimacy coordinators or shooting sex scenes where uh Beatrice Dahl's like, yeah, dude, uh, kind of J-O'd on my leg once. And Charlotte Gainsbourg's like, yeah, I had a guy kind of bust uh, when I just brushed up against him. <laughs> Which, you know, I <laughs> hate when that happens. Hey, look, we all been there, you know. <laughs> though, though she does say he was 16, where I'm like, oh, wait a second. Hold up, <laughs> hold, hold up. On. Hold on, Gaspar, come on, come on. Old habits don't die. Don't die too quick, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, this is... I What I was wondering, and it's like, I guess would be impossible to know without better knowledge about their filmographies, is what part of these stories are true? Because there is like a... There is definitely a narrative thing here where they're talking about playing witches and being burnt at stakes and whether they've done it in films. But I was like, oh, has Beatrice Dahl played a witch that was burned at the stake in a movie? I don't know. So that Charlotte Gainsbourg done a sex scene and the guy came on her leg. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Was that Willem Dafoe? I don't know. I know for a fact that uh, the the Beatrice doll bit at least is true. Like one of her first movies is is one called The Witch's Sabbath, which is about a witch getting burned at the stake. And then, I mean, Charlotte Gainsbourg was in both Nymphomaniacs. So I think we know she's probably at the very least shot a sex scene. Um I think the- she's shot a lot of them, at least in those <laughs> films, as having seen them. My God, she's done a lot. I think the point is exactly the reaction that you had, which is like, how much of this is true? Because that's yeah. exactly where I was going, where I'm like, I could be watching. This could be a behind the scenes YouTube video for all I care, where it's just these two badass kind of titans of the of the industry having a, a frank and honest conversation. Or it could be a very ironic meta layered riff on you'll believe this these two actresses playing themselves as characters in this thing um but you don't know what's the truth and i don't and it was very invigorating to watch can i say something that maybe you'll cut out yeah go for it weirdly hot watching these two women <laughs> just talk to each other well you know they, they are sort of breaking down the expectations of like femininity on film and their yeah. talk i think it's very pointed and and the decisions that they're making to talk about uh being a, a woman shooting a sex scene and then being an actress yeah. who's asked to be like hey hop up on that cross and then we're gonna pretend to burn you which is like a real yeah. actual thing we used to do to women um 
that's what they call subtext rising uh, to the top and becoming the actual text of the mm. thing. We get introduced to some boys soon thereafter, and I think the one of these characters is very interesting. One, and then going off what you said about the, the disparities between men and women on film sets, is basically there's a little man who has weaseled his way onto this film set. Unbelievable. I hated this man <laughs> so much. I mean, that's the point, right? But it's like, it's funny to see, like, you know, Charlie Gainsbourg, effectively the star of this 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 fictional film and the literal film that we're watching, but, like, just treated like dog shit. And basically, this this little weasel is able to go around whoring his little film out constantly on a set he has no involvement the, with. And I'm like, who is this little man? Why is he here? The part later on where he's talking to one of the other actresses, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry that you're working on such a piece of shit film, but if you work on my movie, it's not going to be like this at all. And then, yeah. oh my god, the bit where he's describing... So, he he's like... They're they're running out of time, basically. They're like, we have to go shoot this thing, Charlotte Gainsbourg. You were supposed to be on set, how you know, hours ago, which is quite funny to think about, considering that they were just sitting there, like, drinking wine and shooting the shit for fifteen minutes. There was no urgency there, but people start barging in. And they're like, you got to get on set. We got to shoot this this crucifixion and this witch burning. And then there's like a PA or something who's running around, and he's like, oh, this is like literally just my friend who I bought to the brought to the set today. And they're like. Yeah, he's not supposed to be here. He can't be here. We have no time for this. And the guy keeps just going, oh, but wait, oh, but please, uh, can I tell you about my movie? Oh, oh please, yeah. I need you. He's like, he says at one point, like, I already have funding. I just need you to just, like sign on and, and let me explain it to you. It's going to be so great. Um, and then later on, he does reveal the premise, which is like, it's a movie about how there's no, there's nothing after life. It's about death. And it's going to yeah. be shot like a bunch of different POVs of people at the end of their life. And I'm like, that sounds like. A Gaspar Noé film. This um, this is what I imagine Vincent Gallo was doing, running around the Trouble Every Day set, trying yeah. to get people on board for Buffalo Six. He's like, "If you, I'm going to tell you about Buffalo Six Six, y'all. It's going to be crazy." Um, oh wait, wait, that timeline. Buffalo Six Six was long out by then, by many years. Well, he's running around uh, being like, "Did you see it? Wasn't it awesome? I'm going to do Buffalo Six Six too." No, Buffalo you know what he was waking. doing. Here's the correct timeline. You know what he was running around doing? Be like, guys, I got this idea for this movie. After we finish wrapping here, it's called Brown Bunny. It's going to be a hit. You're not going to believe what we get away with in that one. Well, I have this. I have this idea for this thirty-second scene. That's the the Blake's gonna be talking about that for decades <laughs> afterwards. Uh, well, okay. This character, and then there's another guy, uh, the sort of executive producer type. I think his name is Max in the film. Mm-hmm. I sort of see a lot of the characters in this as no way like breaking out certain parts of his personality or even just his perception as a filmmaker. Um, sure. I, I bring Max up because he sort of looks strikingly similar to yeah. Noe himself, like bald head, big beard, kind of wearing well, a denim jacket. At, yeah. I, I thought he was him at first blush. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, there's, there's something to be said here about the way that Noe is like, if not directly, including himself in these like he he's not sort of washing his hands of it in the way a lot of shitty movies can do and be like god all these film directors and film bros are so shitty not me though i'm cool 
Like, I think Noe is is leaving room for himself to be like, well, you know, not to this extreme degree, but just like, I've probably benefited in a way from being a white presenting dude who makes movies in, in an industry that has typically rewarded them. You you get the sense that, yeah, like he is both indicting the fact that films still exist and get made that way, but also acknowledging that, like, yeah, he probably made films that way. And it, what it reminds me of, sorry to use this one, is actually, because we talked about him earlier, Sion Sono, whose later films were meditations on his earlier films and the misogyny therein, which obviously made his cancellation all the more worse when it was like, oh, you clearly are a massive hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. But... Like, there is kind of that vibe where he's meditating on his own career while also being like, why are we still doing this shit in 2021, you know, or whenever this movie came out? Yeah, 2019. Um, Mm -hmm. We also meet a character who who I love, uh, you know, an absolute queen, my future wife, Abby Lee, uh, from Mad Max Fury Road. She's an old. She plays kind of the, like, I I don't want to say, like, model, but sort of, you know actress who's brought in to kind of Mm. just be one of the other um witches who's hung and her experience on getting to the set is just like complete exasperation as like this is run like (laughs) shit um there's no private dressing room for me to get changed in there's a dude just running around filming everything like while they're (laughs) making me change on like behind the curtain just like yeah and that's the point of this movie where i'm like oh okay i see what's going on here it's just like the complete nightmare and chaos of a film you know production uh running completely amok and just like kind of one of the worst scenarios you could imagine and as a viewer you are not let out of it because keep in mind these this entire time there are two screens playing two different things at all times and, like, they do subtle things with the volume where it's like, this is clearly the conversation you want, we want you to be hearing, but without ever cutting out the secondary Yeah, oh my god, and the subtitling, because some conversations are in French, so those mm-hmm. are subtitled on the screen. Some are in English. If you're watching the film with subtitles, you'll see those subtitles on the screen. There will be the yeah. little thing that's, like, speaking French. And then, you know, there are those things we've we've talked about a little bit, too, where, like, he'll just layer in a quote from some Titanic film director as, like, a splash screen between some scenes or some of the segments. I love the way, too, that the split screen sort of morphs. Like, it isn't as literally constrained as... Mm-hmm. a constant split screen film some of them will like phase out as one scene grows and takes over the whole frame for a while and then like will retreat back sometimes it'll do one scene that like breaks off into two um there are cool bits in that conversation earlier where like you know frame one beatrice doll frame two charlotte gainsbourg you'll see beatrice right. doll reach off the one frame and then her hand will come in through another angle on Gainsbourg's frame it's just like you know yeah for 51 minutes it's a full-ass meal of a film like you're truly glued to the screen the whole time and you're never bored or wondering where it's going it's really just captivating stuff people like I think Gaspar's like writing or storytelling it it either lands with people or doesn't and I think they're very understandable reasons why his some of his films have not landed with people but I think what you cannot take away with from him it's like him and whatever DP he's working with and cinematographer, like those dudes know how to get that camera to do some absolute wild shit and like has his whole career, like the opening like 
spirals and swoops of something like irreversible i don't remember if i stand alone did much with this camera i don't think it did but uh basically his entire career he's been like how can we make this camera basically its own character within the film which i feel like in, in the space i work in the game industry like it's very rare for a game to ever do anything cool with its camera mm-hmm. and it's not as rare but also not super common where you leave a film and be like that camera made the movie, but it's like this film doesn't work the same way if you don't have these two parallel cameras at all times. Yeah, you know, part of it that's really interesting is like you when you watch older stuff or even things that were just shot on film or for a lower budget, it's like someone had to fit the camera there and be able to shoot that. Or when you're thinking about special effects or even like pyrotechnics, like later in this film, you know, they have a, pl- a pretty clever and modern solution to the whole we need to like light people on fire in front of this big sky backdrop which traditionally would pose a pretty significant challenge to shooting that they're like oh just put a big fucking tv behind him and then like press the button uh yeah, bro, that projects that's the, the red that, sky the volume that's the, yeah. un- that's the, the unreal, unreal engine, engine. five true. thing <laughs> i i wonder i honestly wonder if that's what this was here but you know that's something i wanted to bring up with this too uh thinking about like the behind the scenes bit of it because it's you know a film within a film kind of story Mm -hmm. pretty meta doing like presenting oh here's what it would be like to be on this chaotic film shoot i was thinking kind of about the way like there are some twitter accounts or bots or whatever that are just like you know uh behind the scenes pics that go hard Mm -hmm. or behind the scenes pick that looks like shit posts and the way that we're like losing so much of that because you think about some movies now where it's like they don't even wear the fucking costumes they wear uh gray jumpsuits and they'll shoot those on so the behind the scenes pick look lame and they won't let those get out anymore and how much of that like aspect of how were these movies made we're gonna lose in 20 30 whatever years where it's like if someone wants to think about how the fuck did they get everybody in the room to shoot avengers 9 uh the revenge of blarfo they, we're just gonna have none of that info none of that's gonna be captured and and that's kind of you know a, a reflection i had on this was like i okay i have been on a film set before i have been in a short film and so thinking about that on this i was like Yeah, you know, my experience with that was pretty hellacious as well. I had to wake up at 3.30 a.m. to go to a bar in Manhattan. To I played the bartender in this uh, short film about a really bad Tinder date. But it was like, I was just Where's this movie? It it, it was just a web series. It it premiered at some fucking New York little film thing. But it's probably out there. I think I remember the name. You're saying this, and it's like ringing a very weird. Bell I probably in my told you brain. about when I did it. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Oh, um, I gotta find it. I gotta find it. Look, just just playing a bartender in one episode of this little short mini series. I was like, making movies is fucking hard, man. This seems like a nightmare. Doing the takes and getting the cameras set yeah. up, and so uh, I I was I was you know summoned back to my erstwhile days as an extra watching this because there are those shots of like some of the people just like standing along by the side and there's the one scene where you can hear the extras shouting they're like we've been here for five hours and we have no food no water and someone's just like give that guy a fucking sandwich or whatever hold on aj is this you blocked in the back of this photo on imdb is that you that is me yeah that's it (laughs) They blocked out your face. What the fuck? I got my got Mike Wazowski. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I have to find this. My back is on IMDb. That's sick as hell, man. 
Oh, man. Okay, yeah. Um, you know what I was thinking about while watching this is, like, they're obviously not shooting a super high-budget film, but they have extras, and the, the camera is on one of those. It's high enough like, that the fucking producers are shitting their pants. Right, right, right. Um, they have the camera on a big gimbal or whatever. But it made me think, like, what is the actual behind the scenes of this? And it's, like, just three people with a camera and some boom mics. Because, like, the actual movie itself feels like a much smaller production to make than the fake movie does that make sense yeah absolutely the set that they're on too like their conversation starts in this like just sort of classical looking house with a nice fireplace bit and then when charlotte gainsbourg walks off to take a phone call she's in like a morgue and there's a decapitated cadaver sitting on the table there that she discovers just like and then they wander out into this film about like you know a witch persecution i don't know how much of that was thought all the way through but yeah what the hell kind of movie are they making here also there's a weird plot note in this about the daughter about the daughter maybe being sexually assaulted having a a cross drawn on her body and she's so she gets a call from the nanny and the nanny's like, here, talk to your kid. And the kid's like, yeah, I had a bad day at school. Uh, these boys drew a cross on my fufu, which I was like, I think I know what that means. I don't even want to look it up to see what it's right. French slang for, but I can get it together. And then, yeah, like, Gainsbourg is appropriately kind of shocked and distressed to hear this and just tells the nanny, like, can you, like, undress my kid and make sure that uh, she didn't get hurt at school today? Which is never resolved, but I think, you know. Uh, is meant to be a Though, little thematically appropriate with what's going on here. Right, and it does create an interesting kind of psychological moment where you have to watch Gainsbourg then perform uh, like for a movie, kind of having this, what you would assume is intense anxiety about her daughter's well-being, which mm. is very Oh my god, and yeah, when people keep like, so I think you like learn that on the phone call, people keep bursting in and being like, hey, you gotta get said. She's like... Can I have like a minute? And then they're like, nope, no minutes. Minutes are gone. And then so ho- what's, homeboy, what's the de- homeboy with the film runs back and is like, so wait, let me just tell you about this this idea for the sequence that I have. And I'm like, I'm going to kill this man through my so television. What's, what's the deal with why they're in such a rush? Is it just like sets you have to rent by the hour? People are union. They can only be there. They do mention of... at some point. Yeah, it's like fucking union extras. They're pulling oh, this whole thing up. Right. I'm sure it's just the nature of like oh shoots running long we're going over budget we have to this is the finale of the film we have to get this captured uh yeah the sort of side room conversations that we aren't totally privy to but we get little flashes of his characters are going in and out are the i think it's the dp and then like an executive producer are discussing oh how you can't trust beatrice Dahl as a first time film director and like she does she's in over her head she's made a mess of this whole production we've got to get rid of her however we can we've got to sort of make it look like she fucked this whole thing up and then kind of silently replace her or whatever which like you do hear about you do learn about that happening a lot where someone does a bad job making a movie and is like quietly replaced as the director just to so the fucking thing gets made it's a miracle that any movie gets made is a, a a long-standing belief that i've had and one that was only cemented by watching this Look, as the producer finding perfect. Uh, That's right. A documentary about Derek Yu. 17 <laughs> minutes long on YouTube.com, baby. Um, 
That actually was pretty easy. We just kind of showed up. <laughs> it was pretty easy. Derek was a little late, but we had no time pressure. Like the set was uh, just on the planet. Okay, it was fine. They get the it's models. Time to the stake, brother. Yeah, it's just time to the stake. Cause, cause I feel like again, this. If you watch the trailer for this, do I you remember not. being pretty popular when it was coming out. Was like, what the fuck is this dude making now? <laughs> like, you are gonna think the last five minutes of this movie or the, the entire whole film thing. and eventually you'll realize it's not that but it does genuinely not prepare you for the last five to ten minutes and just like the visual hell it's about to put you through yeah i, I mean i also think there's a ton like thematically interesting going on and if you mm-hmm. do follow that as like a literal plot thread where you're like what is going on here and what's going on here the three actresses uh each in Wildly different costumes. Uh, Abby Lee's in a sort of see-through chain metal blouse. I didn't notice. I didn't notice. That's weird. I didn't notice. Oh, you didn't notice that? Sorry. Yeah, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. as just a, a purveyor of, of cinema, I, I sounds like Sounds like you're a perv, dude. Come on, man. Be, be respectful. Uh, Clara, the other one, has these really cool sunglasses on. And then Charlie Gainsbourg, yeah, is just in this, like, leather outfit cool as hell they all look great they get tied up to these crosses i think very pointedly the perspective shifts here to not just behind the camera but literally in the camera you can see like you Mm -hmm. know the cross that they use yeah within the the shoot and then they're telling them like oh you know line it up with her body or whatever so you're in you're inside the camera for the end of this film which i think is really sort of important to note right and then they're holding the shot there's guys with torches. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're shooting this fake sort of witch burning persecution crucifixion scene. And then the big, you know, volume LED behind them starts going on the fritz. It breaks down, starts playing a big noise. Everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? This movie is ruined. Beatrice Dahl is literally just shrieking. <laughs> it, it sort of, yeah, it erupts descends whatever word you want to use into just complete and total chaos and then what starts happening is just red blue green flashing colors over and over again going super quickly the camera that we're within and also the camera of the film kind of slowly zooming in on charlotte gainsburg and what i found like most haunting and arresting about this because obviously this is like uh the Porygon episode of the Pokemon anime where it's just trying as hard as it can to give you a seizure. Yeah. What fades out is really interesting because it is this chaotic scene on the set and then all that noise kind of slowly dissipates away and you really just get the sense that like in a way it's just Charlotte Gainsbourg there at this point. That's kind of my read on the end. Like so I, you know I don't really know what it means or where it's going but like are we going to her interior, her perception of the scene, what's actually breaking down and going away. It just, yeah, slowly fades into this montage of color, sound, explosive fire. I think, you know, we haven't even sort of poked at the big religious themes of this, which are the title, Lux Eterna, comes from the, the Latin Catholic Mass, the everlasting light of God to cleanse the world burn it all away in a holy fire i think there's you know you can pick up on some thematic resonance there uh right it just fucking ends (laughs) that's where the movie goes well well at the end i mean it's pretty clear that these you know 
sounds and lights like charlotte's starting to really kind of suffer through it it's Mm -hmm. unclear if like it doesn't seem like she's having a seizure but it's like a bad fucking time for her and the more she suffers the more the uh director of photography the 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 bald gaspar noe stand in here um eggs her on be like this is a great performance give me more give me more so there's this idea that like you know charlotte literally all you gather from this film is she showed up to do a job and it just was a bad day and then by this point she is like literally suffering and it's you know it's what everyone kind of wants here in this moment and she's like shrieking by the end of this film in Mm -hmm. a way that isn't what Beatrice Dole's shrieking which is out of frustration and exasperation and probably a bit of heartbreak that her project isn't working out like you get the sense that Charlotte's genuinely in pain now and the only feedback she's getting is not help it's like yeah keep fucking doing that yeah and it's like is this, you know, has this been sort of from her perspective the entire time? And this is like the, this, um, this sequence, this montage is like the depths that she has to go to internally mm-hmm. to like give a performance of this scale where it's like, hey, can you just kind of casually pretend to be, you know, a witch getting burnt at the stake? Like it's, it's interrogating and unpacking just so much. I feel like you could watch this five times and come away with a sort of different reader interpretation of it every every bit and i think you know to its credit it sort of uh leaves leave all leaves all that meat on the bone for a reason like it's definitely meant to be one of those things that is not like a literal kind of lux aeterna explained if you if you were if you clicked on this uh podcast expecting that sorry (laughs) sorry we're pretentious arty farty boys comma explained yeah so Anything else to add on this one, AJ? I do. I do have a few more oh, okay. things to add. I, <laughs> Sorry, you're not you're not getting rid of me that easily, Playcaster. Um, I, well, no, we're playing Fortnite after this, so that you is can't true. get rid of me. The other um, the other shorts that I wanted to mention. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. One is called uh, La Ricotta, which is by Pasolini himself, Mister Sallow. It plays wow. Orson Welles as a film director who's making what? a movie about. The Last Temptation and uh, Execution of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it uh, features the man who plays Jesus in the movie being so committed to giving a believable performance as Christ dying on the cross that he eats so much cheese he passes away. <laughs> God, he's done it again, Pasolini. Rest in peace, brother. And there's like a, a funny bit in that where he's... Uh, parodying Fellini's eight and a half which like definitely would fit into the themes of this movie as well because that's a movie about a man who doesn't have a great reputation making a movie about why he doesn't have a great reputation and how it's kind of okay for him to still make movies and how art is torture that whole sort of thing the yada 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 it's not a Fellini podcast the other one could be though um it could be though is uh the inauguration of the pleasure dome by Kenneth Anger which is Kenneth Anger uh, rocks, just an absolute sort of master of that early psychedelia, neo-colorful filmmaking. And this is like themed about, you know, anarchist occult roots in, in Greek myth and tragedy. And it's just sort of 38 minutes of people in really cool costumes with really great color grading parading around to some classical opera music and it i, I mean th- i think you can just pull it up on youtube and it fucking rocks um so, so hold on the yeah this, these all just come on the vinegar syndrome yeah That's dude wild. i was it was sick and i think you know 
the Kenneth Anger shorts, at least I know you can find those pretty easily on YouTube or the internet or whatever. But um, those two in particular are going to be my recommendations at the end of this episode. Wow. Uh, and then, yeah, anything by Kenneth Anger just rocks. I mean, it, it, it was great to have those as, as supplements on there. They're just on their whole di- – they're on their own disc. And you pop them in and these shorts just start playing. And, I, I yeah, I watched Dude. them all. Vinegar Syndrome they is truly like ne- I only have one of their releases, the Ebola Syndrome mm-hmm. limited release they did, but it's gorgeous. I mean they they did we're all going to the World's Fair recently. Yeah. They did Dasha's movie, which I can't believe we haven't done an episode for yet. We'll throw uh, it on what the is schedule. that fucking movie called? The Scary of Sixty First. God, what a stupid fucking name. <laughs> God. Well, by all accounts, you know, the name doesn't do it any justice. It's a really genius film. Got a B plus, A minus on, on IndieWire. I have seen from people I admire and respect say it's either the worst thing they've ever seen or surprisingly great. And I'm like, well, it's definitely going to be one of those things. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up we're all going to the World's Fair, too, because maybe it's just the, the vinegar syndrome connection here. But like, you know, this is a pretty modern film. And as I was watching it, especially its experimental bits, I was really just thinking about the cool, interesting ways in which people are pushing cinema you know further beyond its limits as as digital technology becomes more readily available people are starting to do really creative things with it i kind of decried cgi in the marvel movies earlier which is not even like me i like those fucking things but just like you know when i watch a movie like we're all going to the world's fair or skinamarink i'm i i react to it as just like this is awesome that this was made i love both of those movies and i think some people's reactions is like that's it this sucks it's pretentious it's garbage um i i lump lux aeterna right in with those movies as this sort of like vanguard of what's possible with digital filmmaking and all of this sort of stuff a rant i'm not going to go on here but like it's just super exciting to see stuff like this getting made uh and i think you know this could easily be a like youtube short film or somebody's first film it rocks that no one made it but i just think it's like Super inspirational and just great that this thing exists. I'm I love this. I'm really glad we watched it. Did you here's here's a fun fact about Gaspar Noe. Hit me. Did you know he photographed the album art for Sky Ferreira's album? What is the Nighttime one? My Time? Yeah. I did that know fun? that. Yeah. Isn't that a fun he's a little freak. I love him. His I learned today that he's a Nepo baby. <laughs> is he? His dad is like a famous. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe okay. this painter. is this is old yeah. hat. Yeah, Argentinian painter and intellectual Luis Felipe Noé. Um, so is what it is. I I love him. I I mean I think like he he's plenty talked about at this point. Weirdly, I guess I haven't seen his most popular film, which is in, Enter, Enter the, the Void. Void. Into the Void. I've never seen that. Um, but as we know from the beginning of the podcast, big fan of From the Void. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've never, I haven't seen love or climax either. The only one I have seen by him that I didn't like was I stand alone, but the other ones I think are all fucking awesome. Um, this kind of paired with both climax and vortex, I say, having only seen one of them, but like knowing that it's a stepping stone between those Mm -hmm. two films, at least in his career is really interesting because it feels, you know, thematically and experimentally like, the exact yeah. kind of bridge between those two films, which at least chronologically it was. Um, this has a lot in common with Climax. And if you like this, you would like Climax for sure. Uh, I've never seen that. I should watch it. Yeah. Enter the Void is one of the 
like foundational moments for me in terms of like getting into movies, you know, as a as a hobby or a passion, whatever you want to call it. But that was one where it was like I like forget what I had seen, but it was on some list or some recommendation that was like, yeah. this is going to blow your fucking mind. I definitely didn't see it in 2009, but I probably watched it in 2011 or 2012. I'm like, I, honest, I think I honestly watched it on the IFC channel. Remember that? Portlandia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think it was like on there at midnight or something. And it was like one of those things where I was like, what was that? I got to know everything about this. Sent me down this deep fucking, you know, rabbit hole that I'm in now. And eventually, 10 years later, I'm going to make a podcast with Blake Hester. <laughs> That's funny you bring that up because this just shows the ways we're both cut from the same cloth, but also fundamentally different in our media uh, consumption. Where's this going? No, Noe was easily one of the foundational directors for me, along with like Mike, Harmony mm-hmm. Korean, and Park Chan-wook. You know, kind of all the standbys for little freaks. But... It was irreversible. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> oh, one that that's one that appears on a lot of other lists. Is like you gotta yeah. watch this movie. Uh, and here's the thing that I mean it's it's uh, it you know on those lists also is like Human Centipede, a Serbian film, bad movies, irreversible, <laughs> pretty good. Here's the thing: a site, a reputable site, needs to contract me to write one of those lists where I'll take it actually seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, Irreversible will not be on that list. But that is a great film, I think, that um, has transcended its reputation at this point. Obviously deserving to some degree, but um, that's funny to hear he was one of your foundational people. Yeah, like him, Nick Reffin, obviously. Oh, sure, sure, sure. These are the... uh... Weird, weird shawl. Uh, Uncle Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, was another one of those that was like, you won't believe this movie. But uh, what, what would you like to recommend as we close out here? I got two. Uh, the first one's Vortex. I just feel like it got it got overshadowed by some heavy hitters last year. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were some artsy films that really broke through last year that just meant Vortex was not going to stand like a chance. But Avatar: man, The Way of Water. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, no, Vortex is. I mean, if you if you know anything about Gaspar Noé, even if you haven't seen any of his movies, you know them to be very loud films, sonically and visually, and Vortex is not that. It is a visually very interesting film, but it's very quiet. Um, as we talked about earlier, it's about a couple kind of at the end of their life. Um, the wife has dementia. The husband, who plays, interestingly, a film critic, um, has a pretty bad heart condition, um, the, the couple is played by Dario Argento, famous mm-hmm. Italian director behind Suspiria and Phantom of the Opera, or what is that movie called? Opera. Um, but it's like based on Phantom of the Opera. Uh, plenty of others. Um, and Francois Lebrun, who I'm not familiar with, but God, what a fucking powerhouse that she is in this film. It was my favorite movie of last year. It, um, I guess uh, he made it after suffering like a, um, a brain hemorrhage. Wow. And, you know, he's getting older. He's yeah, he's like, like about in his to turn, 60s. He's about to turn 60. So okay. I think he was just like kind of meditating on death, which as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about death Couldn't as I me. get older. <laughs> yeah. And thinking about how my parents are getting older. This film really hit home with me. I saw it at a very uh, emotionally raw time in my life as mm-hmm. I was going through some death stuff. But uh, man, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And the second one I want to recommend based on the wild improvisational nature god um i'm gonna butcher the pronunciation of this one it is gerori suto okay. <laughs> um by shozen fukui 
uh, who's probably most well-known for directing 964 Pinocchio mm. and Rubber's Lover. Mm. This is a 10-minute long short okay. of what looks to be a 15-year-old girl going fucking crazy in the streets of Shibuya. Okay. This is like, it does more in 10 minutes than some directors will do in 40 years of work. Uh, Blast it, You basically follow this young girl who, I don't know where this description comes from, if it's official or just what someone put on Letterboxd, who might be possessed. Um, so you are following her running through a train full of people. You know, they did, they did not film this on any set. It was just filmed in public as she's falling through the train, collapsing everywhere. Um, like, the, extended... uh, like the sequence from Possession? Let's revisit that when we watch 964 Pinocchio. Okay. Um, well, for the for the freaks out there, I've I've found this on Daily Motion and YouTube, so easily it's on, accessible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, Fukui is referenced. Possession is like one of his favorite films. I follow him on Twitter. The bar he runs, and he like shows movies at his bar. And recently, he showed the new Possession release that oh. they did in Japan on Blu-ray. Um, but there's there's like an extended. <laughs> And there's, a, there's an extended vomiting scene, which is a staple of Fukui. And then uh, probably the most famous scene where she is literally in the streets of Shibuya accosting people. Like, like, like it's AJ. It's fucking crazy. Hey, like well, it is you know, one of the wildest performances. You'll know when you see it. I'm about to watch it. When she orders ice cream, just buckle up. You are in for a wild two minutes of your life. Um, and uh, so definitely less structured than Lux Eterno, but I would say uh, very inventive in what the actresses find room to do within what feels like basically no script, just a rough outline. So Hell yeah. can't recommend it enough. We also, should you can watch it on YouTube in 10 fucking minutes. We should fucking do, let's do more shorts on this. We can do little little double features, uh, blast through some of these bad boys. We should. Uh, so I, I'm holding AJ accountable. We're going to do a 964 Pinocchio episode. We are. The, my Blu-ray is on the way. So Ship this well, morning. We if if we're willing to add two shorts to that, there are two Fukui shorts that we could do uh, that would add an extra forty minutes. Caterpillar and Gero di Suto would be very cool. Okay, um, maybe we'll do a little. I would bonus. definitely be down. I would definitely yeah. be down for that. Okay, um, well that's something to look forward to. Something else to look forward to next week. Blake Hester, are we about to do it to him? <laughs> we're about to do it to him, bro. We're about to do it to him. Now look, we're going in. I would. I would argue. Lux Eterna, not part of the new French extremity canon. No, but, but no way, next, you know, one of the most influential right, figures. Right. But next week, oh, we're going to watch one of the newer new French extremity films. The one of the newer. Possibly. One of the Frenchest. One of the most extreme. Well, it's, I don't know. It goes <laughs> there. Uh, it's a motherfucking raw, folks. Yes, sir. Let's go. Julian D on top. I think. Oh, my God. Is it safe to say a movie you and I both prefer to Titan, even though Titan is great. I think I definitely like probably. Raw more. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a little weird because I guess I will have to do a full disclosure that my wife grants Mara <laughs> Ilie. All right. Thanks so for tuning in. That might, that might color. Some Come of back next I week for raw. Some of the, thanks the for praise. listening. <laughs> bye. Bye.